The reading is taken from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Here ends the reading from the God. Loving Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing unto you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Now, I know I'm just getting to know you, uh, and many of you will not know that I'm not very practical, nor am I very creative. Uh, But there are some things that, when I see them, I wonder if I could do better. And uh, this is one of them. This is something where I think I could do better. Um, I wonder if you've experienced this as you stop off at a motorway service station and you're looking for a cup of tea and they give you a teapot, something akin to this. There are often a plentiful supply of these in churches too. Um, But who thought these were a good idea? You see, there are three properties to the metal teapot that make it a ridiculous vessel for pouring tea. First of all, the material chosen for the teapot is itself a conductor, which means that the heat from the boiling water that's poured into said teapot is transferred to the metallic surround. But the really mad thing is that the handle is metal too. So as you nonchalantly pick up the teapot to serve your tea, you typically find that the handle is white hot, Couldn't they have chosen a different material? Secondly, there's the the cup-avoiding spout. Specifically designed for your tea to go everywhere except the cup. So sure enough, as you pour your tea with minor burns coming to your hand, the tea goes into your saucer, it soaks the sugar sachet, floats in the tray and gently runs down the side of your table. And thirdly, there's the TARDIS-like quality to the teapot. You see, the amount of tea that ends up on the table bears no resemblance to the innocuous-looking little teapot that stands proudly on the table in front of you. Does that ring bells with you? I think it's a disaster of a design. 
the one thing they're meant to do, they don't do. They need redesign. And I want us to hold on to this image of the teapot as we think through our theme today, that grace frees us to serve. Because I want to suggest that if we're not serving, we're not performing the very task for which we were made. We're in a series looking at the impact of grace on our everyday lives. And today we're looking at the fact that grace frees us to serve. Isn't that an oxymoron? Can I really be freed to serve? We tend to think of service as an obligation. A slave serves their master. We look for customer service because that's the written contract that we have with our service provider or the unwritten contract that we have with a great brand. But it rarely comes free, does it? If I serve, it's either an obligation which I'm employed to do or by virtue of my status, I'm expected to deliver it or it's something I do for a specific period of time, my way of giving back. And I purposefully withhold my rights for a time in order to serve. But it's almost always time-bound. Service in a Christian sense is very different. It arises from grace, and it's the purpose for which we're made. Now, the passage we heard read in Ephesians 2 tells us the story of who we are. It tells us of our identity. It tells us of the amazing grace we've experienced that frees us to serve. And I'm convinced that if we could get our heads and our hearts around the reality of our identity as Christians, then service would cease to be a drain on our time. It would cease to be a drain in terms of energy. And it would be a joyful, life-giving, Christ-encountering way of life. Paul contrasts what we were by nature and what we have become by God's grace. Look with me, verse 1. By nature, we were dead. Now that's not a figure of speech. It's a factual statement about our spiritual condition. We were dead. Or verse 2. By nature, We were enslaved. Our lifestyle was characterized by sin. We were under the influence of the world, the flesh, and the devil. We were enslaved by them. And we were condemned. Verse 3, we were by nature objects of wrath. Now, of course, elsewhere, Paul talks about how we're made in the image of God. He talks about degrees of human depravity. But in spite of these qualifications, this is still the reality. We were condemned. So no education, no furtherance of a just and good society, no great works of our own are going to help. And Paul asserts, and it's my experience too, that the solution, the remedy to this disease is Jesus. Dead, enslaved, and condemned. That is what we were. But look at verse 4. 
but God. Everything changes. We were dead, but God brings resurrection and new life. The tomb is empty and the promise is resurrection for all who believed. We were enslaved, but God brings freedom to the captive. He brings freedom to serve a God who loves without fear. We were condemned, but God brings forgiveness through blood shed on the cross. And because of but God, we find what we are by grace. Because the description that follows is not a description of Jesus, but it's a description of you and of me. Of us who trust in him, of people united to Christ. You see, a Christian isn't somebody who follows a special teacher or who assents to a particular doctrine. It's someone who is in Christ, joined to him related to him, organically one with him. So everything that he has done becomes ours by virtue of our union with him. Just as in marriage, we share the wealth or the poverty of our spouse. So what are we by grace? Well, verse 5, he's made us alive. He speaks of his resurrection. Or verse 6, he's raised us up. He speaks of his ascension. He seated us with Christ in the heavenly places. And by verse 10, Paul speaks of us being God's workmanship. God's handiwork. Do you see how grace has changed our very nature from what we were to what we are now? God's workmanship, his masterpiece, his work of art. Do you you ever think of yourself in that way? When you look in the mirror, what do you see? This week, I saw some grey hairs appearing. And having got back on the hockey pitch after some time away, I felt felt my aching limbs for the first time in a while. How can this body be a masterpiece? But we are. Recreated through Jesus, made alive to God. Through him, we have a sense of identity and self-worth that comes through Jesus, not through other things, not through the way that we look, and that's a relief, not through the way that we perform, not through how we pray, not through how we feel, but through Jesus. Our identity has changed forever when we are in Christ. Not, verse 8, because of any good works on our part, but because of the grace of Jesus. The words that are used to describe what has happened are words that describe something in God, not us. Just flick down with me. Verse 4, his mercy. Mercy, compassion for the helpless. Or earlier on in verse 4, his great love. The only thing that could triumph over wrath was the love of God. We deserve nothing but judgment, and yet three times it talks of his grace, the only thing that can rescue us because it's undeserved favour. And we're saved by kindness. There's nothing of us. Even the faith we hold is a gift of God, verse 8. It's all about Jesus. This is his grace. And if that's his grace, then the question comes to us, how then should we live? 
if history will culminate in a day that Jesus comes back, we should live a life that reflects what we now are. Live a life for, for which we've been designed. We should be the masterpiece that God has created us to be. If we understand our identity aright, then it will, impact, it will impact our purpose in life. And our purpose is clear, isn't it? Verse 10. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he's prepared in advance for us to do. We're created for good works. No, we're not saved by good works. I hope I've made that clear. We're saved by the abundant grace of God. But we are saved for good works. For service of the one who prepared these good works for us to do. So do you see, this is actually a question of lordship. Do I bow the knee and do I embrace the purpose for which God has made me and delight in his purpose for me? Or do I rail against it? Live for myself and serve or do good works out of a desire to placate my own inner guilt or my false belief that this will in some way help the fact that without Christ, I'm dead, I'm enslaved, I'm condemned. Who do I serve? Who's Lord in my life? In Paul's language, it's about how we walk or how we live. You see, he purposely purposefully contrast verse 2 with verse 10. So verse 2, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to walk. And verse 10, you are created to do good works which God has prepared in advance for you to walk in. Grace frees us to serve, to do good works, to walk in a different way under the Lordship of Jesus. Friends, grace frees us to serve, not to volunteer. This isn't about volunteering to plug a gap in the coffee rotor or the children's ministry. Paul describes the church as a body, and it makes no sense to talk of a volunteer fibia or a volunteer sternum. Grace frees us to serve, not to volunteer or to feel so guilt-ridden by the perpetual request for help that we fill a role for the next 20 plus years which brings no joy that jars with the person that we've been made to be. We need to identify our gifts. We need to seek to worship God in the church by being body and serving together. If you need help to identify those gifts, come and talk with me. We've got some folk that would love to explore that with you. If you're new here or you feel unconnected in a large church, there's no better way to connect with others, to belonging, than serving and playing your part in the gospel ringing out from this place. By being not a volunteer, but by being a servant, a priest, a friend because that's what Jesus calls you. And as you reflect on God's grace to you, if you want to serve your brothers and sisters and show them grace, then get onto the website, speak to a ministry ministry leader, or come and find one of the team. We would love to find a place for you to serve within the body. And to all those of you who already serve, 
And this church is full of people who consistently give of their time and talents in many different ways. Thank you. Thank you that you you understand that your identity has changed. Thank you that you see that you're a masterpiece designed to serve and that you're obedient to that within the context of the local church. We are all beneficiaries of what you give. So thank you. But this isn't just about church. Yes, I want you to serve joyfully and fruitfully here, and there are loads of opportunities. And in serving, I do believe that the body will be strengthened. But this call to serve is more than serving as a preacher, as a member of the choir, or as a home group leader. God has prepared good works for you, but he calls us also to service outside of the walls of this church. If you flick down to the rest of Ephesians, you see that Paul applies this to marriages, to families and households, and to employment relationships as much as he does the church. So how does your identity as a new creation play into those contexts? Are you an academic who happens to be a Christian? Or are you a Christian academic? Are you a teacher who happens to be a Christian? Or are you a Christian teacher? Now, I'm not just picking at words. This matters because our primary identity matters. If I'm a businessman who happens to be a Christian, I will do all I can to be a great businessman, to pursue my career. And my faith, my integrity, my honesty, my prayer, my preference of others, my giving, well, that may just take a back seat when the going gets tough. If I'm a parent who happens to be a Christian, then I'll do whatever I can for my kids. I'll educate them in the best way that I think is possible. I will give them all the opportunities they need. But if I'm a Christian parent, I'll scour the Bible for truth that speaks into the lives of my kids. I'll pray with them and for them. And when the showdown comes at school or at home, when the choice comes between great schooling or great faith... I'll choose great faith because I know who I am. I'm a masterpiece and I know who I serve. I serve the God who shows amazing grace, even to me. Who am I? Who do I serve? This is about serving as Christ serves. Paul writes elsewhere that Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. There's grace. And there's freedom to serve. He's the model of service, but he's so much more. He's the one who brings resurrection from death, freedom from enslavement, forgiveness from condemnation. He's the one who embodies amazing grace, 
that we might be free to serve. And he turns what in the world's eyes is seen as an obligation, a foolhardy laying down of our own rights and privileges into an act of worship as we serve him, the one who knows us and made us to be the masterpiece we are. So guys, don't be like this poorly designed teapot, please. Struggling to fulfill the purpose for which it was made. Come on, get stuck in. Delight in the work of art that God has made you to be. And do those good works that he's prepared for you to do. As you've experienced grace, so bring grace to others as you do good works and serve him. There is really no greater freedom than being a child of God, doing the things of God, under the lordship of God, for the glory of God. Let's pray. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. It is by grace you have been saved. Lord Jesus, we thank you that our identity is changed forever because of your cross because we are now in Christ. We thank you that you have given us a freedom to be those who delight in the masterpiece that you've made us to be. Would you help us to serve you, to delight in serving you, and to be the person you've created us to be, that this world would know that you are a God of love and of grace and of service and humility. That this world would see that you, Jesus, are God. For your sake and for your glory, we pray. Amen.